Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is an apt one for our world today. We live in abundance. And in this abundance, we've grown desensitized to its danger. You see, very subtly, most of us have bought into the temptation of greed or sanctified covetousness. Because of a lack of need, we in this culture have become a people shackled to our stuff and paralyzed by our possessions. So today we examine a teaching of primary importance to the American church, a lesson on contentment. Thanks for listening. You and I, we live in a world that continues to cause us to look for just a little bit more. Uh, You'll continue to have things that wear out. You're going to need updates and upgrades, and you need bigger and faster and higher and smarter, and uh, there's no end to it. Like hamsters on a wheel that just never ends. That's the world that you and I live in. And it's not just for those who are needing to get more. You know, honestly, it's for even those who are very rich, even the super rich. Uh, I found this quote from John D. Rockefeller. He was an Ohio native, and he started Standard Oil. Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man and the first ever American billionaire. Considering he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, he's considered as the richest person in modern history. When a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? He responded with, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I wonder how you and I today, living in this very rich country, would be able to give evaluation over our answer to that. Have you ever had enough? Uh, Have you tried it all? The Word of God says in the book of Ecclesiastes that the eye never has enough of seeing and the ear never has enough of hearing. The response to this conclusion is that it's all vanity. Vanity, because there's nothing that you took into this world and there's nothing that you can take out of it. Really, what, what it turns into is that the rat race, the, the hamster wheel that we live in, in many ways, it shackles us. And I want to remind you this morning that you have been called to a different country. Not this country. You have been called to a different home. Not this home. Uh, this place has been corrupted. And if you allow it, it will corrupt us. As you and I would buy into the cultural need to continue to have more, uh, we would truly find ourselves as those shackled by this world and not free when Jesus has come to make us free. Uh, There's a story of hunters in Africa and some in India, and what they do is they tried uh, hunting monkeys, but when you'd you'd shoot them, sometimes you would wound them, uh, ruin the meat, and it wouldn't end up uh, being much good for the hunters, and so they found a way to catch monkeys without having to shoot them. What they would do is they would take a little coconut or a hollowed-out gourd, and they would put inside that gourd a little piece of fruit, and then they would make the opening only wide enough for the monkey to put his hand in there to get to the fruit. And what would happen is uh, this little critter would smell the fruit. He would reach his hand all the way down into the coconut, and there grabbing the fruit, he would make a fist. But when he made the fist, he couldn't retract his hand any longer he would be stuck inside of the coconut or the gourd now there's nothing that's holding him there there's nothing that's keeping him a prisoner except for his own greed except for his own desire and what the hunters found is they could literally walk right up to the creature where he panicking still would not let go because he was shackled by his own covetousness 
He was shackled by his own desire to have just a little more. You and I, we live in this world that wants to lay before you a trap, a trap of greed. And the word of God tells us by those who follow after a love of money, which is the root of all evil, we fall into a trap and we pierce ourselves with many griefs. Our challenge this morning as we continue to look to the book of Philippians is to hear the message of freedom once more. And freedom is found in contentment and a contentment that's sourced in putting all of our hope and all of our joy in Jesus Christ. So I've entitled this message, The Secret of Contentment for God's People. We're in the book of Philippians chapter 4. I invite you to turn there with me. Um, As I begin to think through the importance of a message to the American church, I want you to know that this message in particular for me, I believe it's in my top five. And not to the church in general, but to the American church. As I as a pastor think through the things where we are most efficient. I made a little bit of a list here. I thought that uh, one of the places I see that we're quite deficient is in, in, the, in a theology of death. Uh, the American church also has a very deficient theology of suffering for the truth. Uh, that's not something Americans tend to have to um, endure. Uh, we also have failed very largely on the subject of training and educating church leaders. Uh, we've seriously outsourced that uh, to seminaries, whereas the church itself has dropped the ball on this. And maybe lastly, if I were to look at the American church, I would see that we really struggle with unity in the American church. So of those, number five, I would put is the issue of contentment. So this is, this is a, I believe, a very important message. It's just to call your ear to the attention of the apostle as he writes to the Philippians, continually working to change their understanding. Stop thinking like the world. And think as a citizen of heaven. One who belongs to a different country. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read through verses 10 through 13. So just four short verses and work through some observations. I invite you to follow along. 1830. Uh, It's page 1830 in the Pew Bibles if you're still looking there for Philippians 4. Verse 10, Paul writes this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed... You have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. As we we look at this, I I know that you have all heard at some point, verse 13, uh, the idea of doing all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Um, I'm going to really work towards the end of explaining what this truly means. For you'll find this on locker room walls and football teams. You know, I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me the strength? And that's not at all what it means. So what we want to do is really work towards understanding exactly what Paul has to say for us in this. And to begin with, I want to give us a definition of really what contentment means. Uh, Contentment in the original language here is found of a conjunction of two Greek words. Uh, The first one is auta, which means self. So we use this word a lot of times with automatic, right? Something that's uh, self-running. 
so self is that first word, and the second one is the word arkeo, which means to be satisfied. So contentment in the biblical sense. Uh, and really, it's a word that's, that Paul is hijacking out of kind of the economy and the society of his day. And he's applying it into the context of being fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. A word that would mean self-satisfied for Paul now takes on a different nuance. It means to be satisfied in Christ. Not to be satisfied in ourselves, but contentment for the Apostle Paul here. When he says, I have learned what it is to be content, what he means is, I have found satisfaction in Jesus alone. Not not partial satisfaction, not 99% and then a little extra. In fact, I want to draw your attention back one chapter. If you wouldn't mind turning back in Philippians, back to chapter 3. If you look in verse 7, this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you to see the exchange that Paul is trying to get us to identify here. When he says, I'm content, in the definition of contentment, being satisfied in Christ alone, you have to see that he's already one who has experientially made that exchange. Nobody was better than Paul. Nobody had more going for him within the Jewish people than the Apostle Paul. And you you and I would be mistaken to think that when Paul says, um, I I consider them lost for the sake of Christ, that what he means is that I've just kind of gotten rid of them and they actually served me at kind of a neutral level. That's not what he means. What Paul means is that everything as compared to Christ, it's not neutral. It's actually a loss. It's actually in the red column. It actually detracts away from knowing Christ. That's the exchange. Not just a a leveling of this is what I used to be and I'm still holding on to it, but saying it's as garbage in my life. I want nothing to do with it. Because where does he find his satisfaction? In Christ alone. Knowing Christ. There's nothing greater for Paul. Than knowing Christ. So as we look to this idea of contentment, I want to begin by having us just understand what we're talking about here as we look into it. All right, a couple of observations. Uh, number one, contentment is learned. Uh, we we got to begin there. Contentment is something that you and I, we have to learn. And the reason why is because when you come into this world, even as we heard already from Sandy this morning, uh, what did you bring into this world when you came into this world? Nobody had a boat trailer with them? Nobody had an RV? Nothing? Nothing. You, you bad for your ma if that's what happened, right? I'm getting off track. You and I, we come into this world and we bring nothing with us. There's nothing that's there. And you can actually see this with little children. Small kids, before they get their minds perverted towards a selfishness of containing for themselves, many small children are willing to share what they have. I, uh, I was... Uh, at McDonald's this past week because my, my wife gone to the retreat. So <laughs> Ronald's cooking for us is what's going on. And, uh, and we always get a happy meal for Sadie. And uh, she had this little friend that was playing over in the corner and she wanted to sh- go and show her friend the, the little toy. And I was concerned that she was going to be kind of braggy about it. 
Um, but she wasn't. She, she went straight over there and wanted to share it with her. Um, now, I don't want to paint the picture that my daughter is just a perfect little angel either, because uh, then the, uh, just this morning, um, Emily, she, she thinks more creatively than I do. And this being St. Patrick's Day, she got the Lucky Charms that are the St. Patrick style, right? So that there was some little thematic celebration going on this morning at breakfast. And wouldn't you know it, one of the kids got more of the marshmallows than the other one of the kids. <laughs> so she's not a perfect little angel, but this world, it corrupts us. We, you really need to unlearn what has happened to you. And to demonstrate this point, I placed, if, if you look under your pews this morning, I placed a $100 bill under one of your seats. <laughs> None of you believe me when I say that. I, I love it. But if I had, imagine that I did. Man, and you didn't get that $100 bill. You didn't even know you wanted it until it showed up. But once it showed up, now you wanted it. Where does that come from? Why do we live this way? Why do we think this way? We, we didn't start out this way, coming into this world. We brought nothing with us. Everything that we need was provided for us. But somehow, you and I start going through this world thinking that we actually need to hold on to more. Keep it for ourselves. Continue to grasp and grab more and not share it. You need to unlearn that. And you need to unlearn that by learning contentment. This is what the apostle says. In verse 11... He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. And again, in verse 12, if you look a little further, I know what it is to be need. I know what it is to be, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. This, this is where it begins, church. And I want you to know, even as I start here with this first observation, when it comes to something that's learned, is that easy or hard? Come on, like to learn something. I'll give it a shot. I'm going to try playing the guitar. Put that thing down. Too hard. I'm going to try. You know, this is what happens. A lot of times we try things, but is learning easy? It's not easy. And this here, when it comes to the greed that's found in a rich society like ourselves, this is going to be hard. And what I'm trying to convey to you this morning is that this is a way I'm wasting my breath. If you don't, don't start at the beginning realizing that to learn something is going to require effort and practice and a continual reminder that I'm not called to love the things of this world. I am called to the life that's beyond this life. We need to practice that because it has to be something that's learned. Secondly is this. Contentment is not tied to circumstances. Contentment is not tied to circumstances. Contentment doesn't look at the immediate. It doesn't look at what you're facing. Contentment looks to eternity. Contentment doesn't look for a a tax return. It looks to Christ's return. Contentment doesn't look at what you have right here and now. It looks to what you hope for. Everybody understand this? Contentment is not something that you and I are focused on through and in our circumstances. It must transcend our circumstances. Um, At the Last Supper, uh, Jesus has said that uh, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. And and there was one of these really devoted disciples sitting there with Jesus. And he said, everybody else might desert you, but I won't. What was this guy's name? Do you guys know? It's Pete. Right? Pete here saying confidently, I ain't ever going to do that. I won't ever leave you. Even if it means death, but what happened to Peter? You know the story, right? 
And then the reason that he denied Jesus was because there in the middle of the courtyard was his, his master, what, in power and strength, displaying his might or tied and bound and ready to be led to be murdered. Peter was overcome by his circumstances. He, he, he didn't look beyond. He didn't have hope. He was tied again. He was controlled. He was shackled by what he was facing. If, if you and I are going to find out what contentment means, it has to transcend our circumstances, which, just so you know, in church history, happened for Peter. Peter did get to the point, and it was after the resurrection, and he had his hope placed in eternity, that now there was nothing that anyone could do to him on this earth. And in fact, the Romans crucified Peter upside down on a cross, and they took his life from him. And Peter, without hesitation, was ready to meet his Savior and his Lord. Because contentment for Peter no longer was tied to circumstances. Here's a passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been looking for the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Contentment is not tied to our circumstances. And uh, I want you to see this again in our text in verse 11. Paul simply says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. If you and I are going to understand contentment, this is another key um, observation, a conclusion to know what it's all about. Number three is this, contentment requires context. If you're really going to know what it means to be content, you actually have to have your, your spectrum fully, fully uh, lived up. Uh, you won't know contentment if you only... Uh, live with a silver spoon in your mouth. If you only have had it good for you, you'll have no idea what contentment means. Uh, this was, I think, Jacob's first time to, um, to Mexico. Uh, Mara's a professional here. You, you, second time that you've been there, right, Jacob? Yeah. Um, I want to ask you to the question, does going over to Mexico help you appreciate what you have here more? When you see what other people in other countries live with, does that make you more grateful for what we have here? Uh, I, want, I want to draw your attention back to the text again, what Paul says in verse 12. Uh, he says, and it's repeated, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul had the context. He, he knew what it was to have every one of his needs met, and he knew what it was to feel like he had to sleep in the cold. He had the full spectrum. And it's only when you and I know that God will be there for you. Not just when life is good, not when it's going easy, but when life actually gets difficult. When you learn to live with less, when you know what it is to feel hunger and the cold of the chill of the night, that you learn contentment. If you've never had that experience, I would say that you probably would be incapable of truly knowing what contentment means. If you've only had life easy, if you've only ever had it good, this is the challenge throughout the word of God that you and I would learn not to rely on ourselves. That you and I would not learn to rely on our ability, our checkbook, but that we would rely on God. This is why he allows suffering in our lives. This is why he allows your faith 
to be challenged and tested because it provides for us a context that we would understand true commitment. Number four, commitment is all-inclusive. Paul says in verse 12 again, if you look there with me, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Uh, Here's what I mean uh, by all-inclusive. Contentment is not just learning to be cheerful or satisfied when you don't have anything. It's also learning to rely on God when you have everything. It's all-inclusive. It's, it, it, I'm going to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. It's not saying be content because you don't have enough. Paul would, uh, Paul would challenge the church here. Be content when your cup is overflowing. Do you know, th- this, I think, is actually maybe the harder of the two. Because you know what will happen to most people? When you have your cup overflowing, who's praying to God in those moments? Who's finding contentment in those moments? I oh, mean, we need to upgrade the plasma screen to a new 65 inch. They got a sale going on right now. And we, we got to put new tires on and upgrade. That's what we do. You and I, we don't, we're, we're not content with what we have when the cup is overflowing. Jesus tells the story of the man who had barns that were too small to hold all his riches. And so what did this guy decide to do? What, was he content with what he had? No, he said, I'm going to build bigger barns. Your life is not found in the abundance or the accumulation of wealth or money. And who could give his soul for the exchange of the entire world? We need to know that contentment is not something to be seen and practiced just when we're in lack. It's something that also needs to be seen in abundance. We still need to be fully satisfied in Jesus, not just in lack but also in abundance. Uh, and the NEFE, the National Endowment for the Financial Education, reports that 70% of lottery winners, either the scratchers or the Powerball, right? 70% of the jackpot winners go bankrupt within three years. That is crazy statistic. I- I- imagine the windfall of millions, right? I mean, you're doing a dance on the way home. I mean, right? You, you, you won the jackpot, for 70%, that's a curse, is what that is. That's not a blessing. And not everyone can handle that. I, I, I want you to know that as you have opportunity today to talk to Mara and Jacob, I, I hope they have the opportunity just to tell you what life is like living in that region of Mexico, in that part of the world. And how very little the people have, and yet how very satisfied they are. How very full their lives are. Because you will not learn that in the affluence of America. You and I will be confused by that. And I am preaching maybe to a different... uh, I mean, we are in the UP, all right? So for UPers, this isn't as much a big of an issue. But I want you to make sure you're paying attention to it as well. Because you'll miss it. And it will sneak in up on you. And it will shackle you like that monkey who can't let go. Contentment needs to be all-inclusive, not just what we have, what we don't have. First Timothy, again, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. 
and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Contentment needs to be seen not just when you're in lack. It needs to be all-inclusive. It needs to be seen when you have your cup overflowing as well. Uh, Next, contentment covers both needs and it covers wants. Uh, If you look in here in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or the body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, When we think of contentment, it needs to not just be, I'm, I'm content in my wants and the things I want. It includes your needs as well. In fact, if you look here at the text, this is, This is really the part leading up to the important verse in 13. I want to point it out to you. He says in verse 12 that I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, and look at at the contrast, well-fed or hungry. Now, do you need food? Yeah, that, that would be our needs. This is what you and I need, but look what he says after that. Living in plenty or in want. So not just your needs, but also the things that you and I would desire, our wants, the, the things that our, our heart would be for, things that get you fired up and excited about. Contentment, it covers it all. All right, number six, contentment frees you to rejoice. It's a theme throughout uh, Philippians, and it's a joy that comes not by looking at what we have or what we have done, but it's a joy that comes from looking at our Lord. Again, in chapter 4, Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. And now look what he says in verse 11. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Do you know contentment allows you to find joy? If you're here this morning, and and to be honest, you're just saying, I just don't have joy. Like in my life, I find depression is something that I have more of. I find that I just am not... It's like life's heavy. I want to say before you go and look to Prozac or, or, or go and look to any type of a medication for this, try out a spiritual solution. Try out contentment. Everything that we've listed up here already to be a component of how we learn to live here on an earth where we don't take any of it with us when we die and we brought none of it into the world for what you and I have currently. Because when you find contentment, oh, the shackles will fall off and you'll have joy. Imagine the monkey got his hand in there holding on to the beans, right? And the hunter's coming and he's panicking, shackled by his own greed. But imagine if he were to let go. You know what? I got enough food. I'm good. And he now can scamper away. What, what, what is his heart doing in that moment? He's rejoicing. He has joy. I was flipping through the channels the other day to uh, uh, Nat Geo and I uh, came across one of these um, doomsday preppers. Anybody see one of these before? Come on, see. Any doomsday preppers here in church today? Anybody with? No, okay. Well, you've seen the show then. Well, this particular doomsday prepper, uh, as he was recounting uh, the secret to his entire success, he just kept repeating the idea of redundancy, redundancy, redundancy. And if you, you know what that word means, redundancy? It means you have backups upon your backups for backups and backups and backups. In fact, I think being a doomsday prepper is just being a backup to begin with. 
Uh, he's got three different cisterns for water. He's got three different caches for food, two different hideout shelters, two different security systems. In fact, when I was watching this, I couldn't believe it. He was actually saying that, you know, something might happen to his wife, and his wife was a twin, so he actually asked the twin to come live with him. He found a backup for his wife, which just gets a little unsettling. Uh, as the, the documentary here on this guy continued, he said what he would do to these two adult ladies just to make sure they were prepared, sometimes randomly in the middle of the night, he would dress all in black and he would sneak in on them on the dark and he, and he would, he would bur- burst the door open and, and scare them out of their wits to see if they were ready, to see if they were prepared. Now, now you tell me, is this family able to live in peace and joy or in fear? Look at this man's eyes. This is, what it, this is what you will look like. This is what it will be for you and I if you are trying to find contentment in the amassing of wealth here on earth. But if you find contentment in Christ, listen to the apostle. Is he living in abundance when he writes this? Where is he writing from? He's writing from jail. And his words are, I rejoice. I have joy. There are no shackles on my heart. Because I have found fullness of satisfaction in my Lord Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also contentment will free you. You will be free. The shackles will fall. You'll be able to rejoice. All right, last one. Contentment's secret is found in the strength of Christ. It's not in self-satisfaction that you find contentment. It's in Christ's satisfaction that you will find contentment. Now, I want to make a point here. I did not entitle this message, The Secret to Contentment. This is, this is my most important point, so make sure you catch this. You've been sleeping so far. Track with me now, all right? It's not the secret to contentment. That's not what I'm preaching on today. I'm not preaching on, here's how you find contentment. That's not what it is. What Paul says here, it's the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment is that there is no shackles on you, and you have nothing to fear, and you can face what no one else in this world can face. You can face a world that would destroy you and I if you find contentment. That's the secret. When Paul writes in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being contentment. It's simply this. He can do anything that the world can't do because he is fully satisfied in Christ. He can suffer in jail. And say, I rejoice in jail, which is an impossibility in this world, because he's satisfied in Christ. There's nothing he can't do. Imagine a scenario with me. Imagine that there were two trees out in the desert. One tree is planted where it has its roots down and it's doing its best to soak up any moisture that it can find, praying for the rain every day. And another tree is actually sourced right next to a stream of living water. A flowing river that goes by and its roots go right down into the bank, 
and into the stream. And let's say we talked to these two trees and we said, I hate to tell you this, but there is a storm a brewing. It's a dust storm and you're going to have famine that's coming. The sun is going to beat down hot and the sky is not going to drop any rain. Now on the tree that's planted by itself, what is it relying on? It's depending on what it can do. But what about the tree that's planted by the river? Can it face the wind? Can it face the heat? It can. Why? Because it's not depending on itself. It finds its strength in the river. I, I can't get over looking at the news today and the culture in which we live. I truly believe that uh, we are facing a time that's soon coming where Christians are going to be persecuted in a way that America has never seen before. I really feel like that's on the horizon. Unless, of course, you're willing to cater to the culture and let go of your convictions. If that's fine, then you, you, you'd be marked up right with them. It'll be no problem. But if you're going to stand for truth, I truly believe the day is going to come where you and I are going to face hardship. Can you do that? Are you going to be, can, could you go to jail? Could the government come in and say, for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel, you're going to go to jail? Could you face that kind of hot wind? The only way that you'll be able to do that is if you found the secret of contentment through the strength of Jesus Christ. That is what verse 13 means. When Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. He's referring to everything he just said in the context. You know what everything means for him? I can be hungry. You know what everything means for Paul? I can be in want. I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. Because for Paul, it wasn't a a dependency on what he could produce. His roots went down to the river called Jesus Christ. And he found his strength there. Listen to these words again from Jesus. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Who could do this? Could you do this? I I had lunch with a pastor this past week, and he was saying, look, I I can only take so much. After all, I'm just just a man. And I want to say, I, I know what you mean. But you and I are called to live after our Savior. And when they bound him and murdered him, he didn't open his mouth in return. He was able to walk the path of persecution. What about you? This is is hard, folks. This is really hard. How many times are you going to get slapped on the cheek before you're tired of turning the other one? How many times are you going to allow somebody to mistreat you, take advantage of you before you say enough's enough? You won't be able to do it. Not in America. You won't be able to do it unless you have learned the secret of contentment. Take my stuff. Take it. Take, take my life. I'm not satisfied with any of this. In fact, I'm ready, to sh- I'm ready to share. I'm ready to give it up and help all those who need it. Because I'm satisfied in Christ. And you can never take Christ from me. I can never be lost from his hand. That's the great secret of contentment. To be found in Christ. Now, I, I want to wrap this up. And so I put a question there in your sermon notes. What is the hardest thing that you can think of a Christian doing. Now, this is not for anybody. This is for you. This is my challenge to you. I I, I want to ask that you put an answer down at the bottom of your sermon notes. What would it be for you that would be the hardest thing to do? 
as a Christian? Maybe that'd be go to, to go to Mexico. Anybody? That might be the hardest thing for you to think. That I could never. That'd be the hardest thing for me to do. Or, or maybe for you, it's not going to be a missionary. Maybe for you, it's actually staying here. I know for me, that was my challenge in moving back home. It was easier for me to stay serving as a missionary than it was to move home. So maybe it's not going. Maybe it's being a missionary right here. Maybe the hardest thing for you would be to share the gospel with your family. Family's tough, folks. Any amens there? Any, anybody know what that's like? Family's tough. Uh, maybe that'd be the hardest thing for you to write down. Maybe the hardest thing for you to do is to bow your head and pray before lunch. Because all, all the other guys are watching. Or, or some, somebody else might see me. And that for you is just the hardest thing to do. Maybe it's giving a portion of your income to God's work regularly. And, and putting your finances first to honor God first. Boy, that'd be really hard. That, and for a lot of people, very, very hard thing to do. Maybe it's to take a stand in our culture for the controversial issues in our world today. Yeah, that'd be the hardest thing for you to possibly do is to take a stand for truth. Maybe the hardest thing for you to stick your neck up to provide or to promote change that's positive for people. Because you know people will look down on you or ridicule you. Maybe the hardest thing for you to do would be willing to forgive somebody. Being willing to overlook the offenses for what someone has done to you. And that's just the hardest thing for you. Maybe the hardest thing for you is to suffer for Jesus. Peter was there. Peter was there in that moment. He was challenged, just like I'm trying to challenge you today. And he failed at it. But then he learned contentment. In the time when they said, you were with him. You're, you're one of his too. You belong to get strung up with him. He said, I don't know. He was controlled by his circumstances. He was still shackled by a lack of contentment in this world. But he learned it. And you and I are going to fail at this. We will fail at this unless we begin to prepare our hearts to find contentment in Jesus alone. That's my question to you. Would knowing Jesus for you be enough? Would knowing Jesus, like Paul says, would that be enough for you? These are his words. Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it.